Crosswalk Church Podcast in Phoenix, Arizona. We're going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 8, and we'll begin reading at verse 40. As I said just a few moments ago, today's question is, does he really make a difference? And I want to read something to you. Think about how, um, how humbly Jesus' life began. Literally, this uh, child, the baby Jesus, was born in a barn. And yet, here's what one person wrote. Jesus' legacy is truly without peer. Jesus never wrote a book, but the Library of Congress holds more books about Jesus, 17,000 of them, than about any other historical figure, roughly twice as many as Shakespeare, the runner-up. One University of Chicago scholar has estimated that more has been written about Jesus in the last 20 years than in the previous 19 centuries combined. Jesus never ran for a political, political office, but more people have chosen him to be their leader than anyone else who has ever lived. Jesus was not formally educated, nor did he lecture in a classroom, but he has more students than anyone else has or ever will have. Jesus was not a therapist, but he has helped more people than all the counselors, therapists, and psychologists combined. Jesus was not an artist, but more artwork has been commissioned of him than of anyone else who has ever lived. Truly, the difference Jesus has made in history is staggering. Even more endearing is the difference Jesus makes in our personal history. Billions of people on the earth have their own testimony of the difference Jesus has made in their life. Their stories are absolutely amazing. They are the people Jesus has loved, saved, forgiven, healed, restored, encouraged, empowered, and utterly transformed. I got to thinking about that last paragraph and about my own life. And those of you who have been coming to Crosswalk for a little while, you know a little bit of the history of my life. But I I was thinking about my dad again. My dad had a huge influence on my life. And uh, as those of you who have been here a long time know, my dad struggled with alcohol. He was an alcoholic. But I wanted to kind of go a little bit deeper uh, on my dad today and, um, and tell you that I think... What Jesus has personally done for me is make a difference, not just on the external things of alcoholism and and so on and so forth, but where the real difference made in my life is on the inside. Because I think a lot of my dad's struggles really came from what was going on inside of him. And as I reflected back on my dad's life, I realized that you could probably boil it down to two things. That my dad's life... And I think it was because my dad's heart was never really steady. He was kind of a guy that was up and down and uh, sharp spikes and sharp lows. And and so there was no ballast, no steadiness, no nice even sine wave in his life. He was way up here, he was down there, and of course the alcohol just tended to aggravate and exacerbate that and make it even bigger. So he lacked a little bit of steadiness in his heart. The other thing that I think he lacked was a, well, for lack of a better term, a steadfastness. My dad changed jobs pretty frequently. And we'd started out in California, then we'd uh, move to Phoenix, then we moved to Louisiana. After a year in Louisiana, we moved back to Phoenix. 
he changed jobs almost every year, and we'd move to a different portion of Phoenix. There was no sort of continuation or perseverance that went on in his life when he got angry or when he got upset or when he got emotional about things. He would tend to move on just to the next thing and kind of leave everything behind in the dust. Now, I say all of this also with the thought in my mind that my dad was many times a great dad, and I I love him very much. I have very fond memories of him. But if I look at my life, it's different. It's just plain different. And I think that part of the reason it's different is because of those two words, a steadiness and a steadfastness. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that it's my steadiness, because I'll tell you it isn't. If you could see into my heart, you would see my dad. You would see a person who is just as unsteady and just as ready to be up here and down there on a daily basis as my dad was. You would see a guy who, if you could look into the thoughts of my heart, um, frequently says, man, I wonder if I should keep going. I wonder if I should just give up. I wonder if it's done and I need to move on. There, those thoughts cross my mind. But the difference for me is Jesus. Someone that, even though my dad had been raised with Jesus by my grandma, when I knew him, he didn't have Jesus. And I do. Uh, Not by my own strength or wisdom or power, but because Jesus walked into my heart and grabbed my heart by the shirt sleeve and said, I'm coming in. And, And that has made all the difference in my life. And what I want to talk to you today about is Jesus offers steadiness and steadfastness to all of you, to all of us. And what we're going to talk about is not just that Jesus wags his finger at you or me and says, you better be steady, and you better be steadfast. But he actually gives us the stuff of steadiness and steadfastness. He gives us the fuel for steadiness and steadfastness. And that's what we want to talk about is that that Jesus doesn't, just give us steadiness and steadfastness, what he gives us is four things, which we're going to talk about in just a moment, which when we really trust that Jesus has given us these four gifts, these four gospel great news gifts, that even though we may wake up some mornings and feel pretty shaky, pretty much like just burying our head in the covers, pretty much like we're way up there or way down there, that if we remember these four things, it brings a complete sense of steadiness and steadfastness into our hearts and minds. So what I want you to do is take out your crosswalk notes, very first thing, and and I want you to write four words down, and I'm going to tell you exactly where I want you to write them. So I didn't leave any spaces on here for these four words because I want them right at the top. So you see the crosswalk notes here. You have a little blank space right above where it says crosswalk notes. So in the upper left-hand corner above the words crosswalk notes on the, on the uh, front of the page, on the left corner I want you to write the word identity. And then in the upper right corner, 
I want you to write the word destiny. Now, under the words, crosswalk notes, right above, does he really make a difference? On the left and the right of the words, authentic Jesus, you have a little bit more blank space. So, to the left of the words, authentic Jesus, I want you to write the word possibility. Possibility. And then the fourth word that I want you to write down, to the right of the words, authentic Jesus, is the word purpose. So, you should have four words now. And those four words are identity, destiny, possibility, and purpose. Now, I'm laying out for you in advance what we're going to really be now developing and and drilling down deeper on throughout this message text today, that the reason that Jesus has made a huge difference in my life, the reason he will make a, a huge difference in yours, probably already has, is that Jesus gives you a complete new sense of your identity, your destiny, your possibility, and your purpose. And when you have a new sense of those things because of all that Jesus has done for us at the cross and in the empty tomb, that that is actually life-changing right in the present tense. Let's take a moment now and read the very first verse, Luke 8.40. Now, when Jesus returned, uh, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Even when Jesus was alive, the people could really tell there was something different about this guy. And they had heard stories that he already was making a huge difference in the lives of others. And if you go back and you read through Luke chapter 8, there's stories right there of differences that he was making in their lives in the present tense. Jesus had taken his disciples out on the lake and a storm arose so bad that the, the boat was nearly swamped and Jesus calmed the wind and the waves and ended it. Boy, what a difference that made in the disciples' lives. They could have easily drowned. And then the next story, the one right before this one, is the healing of a demon-possessed man, a man who, who actually had been possessed by an evil angel, one of those angels that had rebelled with Satan, and Jesus healed him. What a difference maker that was for that man. And now we are going to read a story that is titled A Dead Girl and a Sick Woman. That doesn't sound like it's going to give us a lot of hope, does it? We're going to talk about a dead girl and a a sick woman. And how is that supposed to give us hope and a sense of steadiness and steadfastness? Well, you'll see. The words that stick out to me in this first verse is, they were all expecting him. And if they had heard the reports of all that Jesus had been doing, it's pretty easy to see why they would have been expecting him, right? They must have been thinking to themselves, man, what is this guy going to do for us? What is he going to do for me? What difference might he make in my life? And as we're going to see in actuality, there are all kinds of expectations from the people surrounding this dead girl and this sick woman. Some of them had very bold expectations of Jesus. One of them had pretty timid expectations, but still some expectations of Jesus. 
And then there was a whole group of them that had absolutely no expectations of Jesus at all. So we write this down, Jesus' name, and it always does this. Still today it does this. It creates all sorts of expectations, all kinds of them. Let's talk about the first guy. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Here was this man, and it says he was a a synagogue leader. So this was a man that was responsible in the church for taking care of the affairs of the synagogue. He probably helped manage the finances of the synagogue, oversaw the building that the people met in for the synagogue. He was regarded as a stand-up person in the community because he was faithfully taking care of the spiritual needs of the community, a synagogue leader. And if you recall, sort of the, the attitude that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, some of the really upper muckety-mucks had toward Jesus, you realize it's kind of a bold move for this synagogue leader to approach Jesus. But he's in a crisis. He, uh, he has uh, a, a young lady on his mind, and that young lady is his daughter. Just last night, I attended a wedding. I was officiating at the wedding. And, and you know, at the wedding reception, there's always that dance, right? The dance where the dad dances with the daughter, and they play a song that talks about the love of a dad for his daughter, and dad gets misty-eyed, and and he has to make his speech, and he can barely make it through. And all of that went down last night, as it does in many, many weddings that I attend, because the heart that a dad has for his daughter is just incredible in most cases. And that comes out at times like a wedding. Well, it also comes out at times like when your daughter is really, really sick. I can tell you about a time when my daughter Audrey was born, and we weren't sure if she was going to make it because she was born six weeks prematurely. And I remember just laying there face down on the floor praying that God would preserve her life. And he did. Today she stands up on this stage some weeks singing and leading worship, and that's awesome to me. And so here you have this dad and His daughter is dying. So despite what might feel like, man, I don't know what they're going to think of me as a synagogue ruler ruler approaching Jesus, he is driven by his love for his daughter and by his hope, generated by all the things that he's heard about Jesus, and he approaches Jesus boldly. And so write that down. Jairus had bold expectations of Jesus. He thought... Maybe my daughter won't die if I can just get Jesus to come and heal her. I've heard that he's healed other people. Maybe, maybe, just maybe he'll come and heal my daughter. Now, on the middle, after uh, Jairus grabs hold of Jesus and asks him to come to the house, actually pleaded with him to come to his house because his only daughter was dying, 
Jesus actually gets interrupted. Now, can you imagine Jairus in this moment? Like, they're going. He thinks his daughter is dying, right? And all of a sudden, there's this huge crowd pressing around Jesus. And Jesus comes to a dead halt. I'm thinking Jairus is going, Jesus, come on, please hurry. I don't know how long she's going to make it. But Jesus does pause. And here's why. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. So something was going on uh, physically with her, and uh, she basically uh, just kept on bleeding. It's, it's similar to menstrual bleeding, just bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Now, can you imagine this woman? I mean, she, she really is not sure. And she is not going to take a direct approach. And there are just crowds pressing on Jesus so much that it's, it's, it's like one of those mob scenes that you see sometimes at a concert. They're threatening to crush him. And somehow this woman makes her way, squeezes her way through that crowd, and then very timidly gets down and just touches the edge of his outer garment, his cloak. Just barely touches it. And what happens? After 12 years of of constantly having this flow of blood, it stops right on the spot without Jesus really even looking at her, without Jesus talking to her, almost, almost without Jesus even realizing anything was going. She reaches out timidly and touches the edge of his cloak And she's healed. Man, is that power. Now, some of us, even today, we have very bold expectations. We're like Jairus. And we come to Jesus. We've heard these accounts from the Bible. We've had friends and family members who have had really surprising things happen in their lives. Really seen things change. And we come to Jesus the way Jairus did. Man, something really big is happening in my life, Jesus, and I need your help. And we, we, we grab Jesus by the hand figuratively and go, come on, you gotta come to my house. And some of us are more like this woman. I'm, I'm not sure this has been going on for so long. I don't know if anyone can help me anymore. And we just sort of timidly touch the edge of his cloak. But what's going to be amazing is it doesn't matter. The end result doesn't change. You'd think that the more bold guy, he gets the more full blessing and the more timid girl, she kind of doesn't get it all because of her timidity and maybe her faith is just so small. But, oh man, Jairus' daughter, ironically, was 12 years old and this flow of blood had lasted 12 years. And it stopped immediately. So write this down. The woman had timid expectations of Jesus. Now I said before, Jesus almost didn't notice. But notice that he does. And this is what we read next. Who touched me, Jesus asked. 
And when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are are crowding and, and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and now she had been and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. See, now she recognizes it, doesn't she? I'm not going to be able to just slip in and slip out unnoticed. I'm not just going to be allowed to simply touch the edge of his cloak and Jesus not see me or talk to me. Jesus turns. And remember, there's this huge crowd pressing in on Jesus. But what does Jesus do? He zeroes in on this woman. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, comes trembling and and falls at his feet. And she tells Jesus why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And how does Jesus address her? Daughter. Who is this unknown woman to us, unknown woman? Just a person in the crowd. Who is she to Jesus? Daughter. And, and later on, we're going to hear a very similar thing when Jesus heals Jairus' daughter. Do you know how he introduces or how he speaks to her? He says, my child. My child. Identity, destiny, possibility, purpose. Do we Do you know who you are to Jesus? That that you're not just an anonymous person that some dad wants to drag you to, or you're not just a, a member of a vast crowd of people. You're family to Jesus. You are God's child through faith in Christ Jesus. That's your true identity. And so many of us wander through lives, our lives, asking ourselves, who am I really? I don't know who I am anymore. But you do if you are a follower of Christ. You know exactly who you are. And this is a game changer. Us guys, for example, we we work so hard at our jobs, right? And we begin to grab our identity out of the work that we do. And that becomes who we are. And then one day, we go into work and there's a pink slip waiting for us. And we walk out of that room and after a few hours of pondering what just took place, we go, who am I without that job? Who am I really if I, if I can't put food on the table or if I can't put a roof over my wife and my kid's head? Who am I? But you know what? Job or no job, your identity never changes as long as you have faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that through faith in Jesus Christ, we are children of God. We are family to God the moment we become a believer in Jesus Christ. You are God's son. You are God's daughter. You are a son of the Most High, truly a prince in God's realm or a princess in God's realm. 
daughter, your, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. What else has changed for this lady? Not just her eternal destiny, which, of course, when we believe in Jesus, as we talked about for the entire message last week, our eternal destiny changes. We go from being headed to hell as the true just punishment for our sins. Jesus takes those on his shoulder on the cross and bears the weight of them. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But then in that very same Verse, Romans 6, 23, it goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For every one of us, Jesus changes our eternal destiny through that gift. But Jesus says that he also changes today's destiny and tomorrow's destiny. And next week's destiny, he he tells this woman, your faith has healed you. Your life is going to be different. Even your life here on planet Earth is now going to be different. You're experiencing healing. And you can go with your heart at peace. And that's the most important destiny change for all of us, to be able to walk through life at peace. Because we know the end of the story already. When I reflect back on my dad and how he was up here and down there, and how when he'd get frustrated or or angry or upset, he'd just quit that job and move on to the next one, and there was no steadfastness. I sometimes wonder, was it because he, he really just couldn't go back and ask himself the question and answer it very well, who am I really? And he didn't have that go in peace thought in his heart every day because he didn't know that his sins had been forgiven, his guilt was gone, know that Jesus was with him. And do you know what has been the game changer for me? I told you already, I experience all those same things. I'm my dad's son. But I can wake up in the morning and no matter what's happened to me, The day that I am no longer pastor of Crosswalk, hopefully that'll be through retirement. (laughs) I love this church and I love all of you. I I won't be sitting there going, who am I? Because even if I'm no longer pastor of Crosswalk, what am I still? A child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And where am I still headed? Through faith in Jesus. I'm, I still know the end of the story. I'm still going to heaven. My sins are still forgiven. And I can go through life in peace knowing these things. And even now, I mean, I don't wake up every morning thinking my job is threatened. But I do wake up uh, many mornings going, oh, I'm tired. Or you, you, The very common feelings that all of us go through. Life is hectic. And when I can wake up and just remind myself, I'm a dearly loved child of God bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. That's who I am. When I can get up and, and, and say, do I know where I'm going? I do. I'm going to heaven. I can tell you, if you do that in the morning, and, and we're going to talk about two other questions, it's a game changer. 
Go in peace. Her destiny is changed. Our destiny is changed. It goes on. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. <laughs> Look at what they say. Talk about letting the air out. And Jairus has been thinking, come on, Jesus, hurry. I don't know how much longer she has. And these people come. And they say, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. What do you think is going through Jairus' mind right now? Can you imagine the struggle? His daughter has just died. He's been rushing to try to get Jesus to get over there and and heal her before the life leaves her. And a messenger comes and says, it's too late. And just as he's absorbing that, that news, it's too late. My daughter's gone. She's dead. Jesus looks him right in the eyes. Jairus, look at me. Look at me, dude. And (laughs) he says to Jairus, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. She's, She's not dead. Just believe and she will be healed. Even if she's dead. Jesus is in effect saying, I have the power to bring her back alive. Don't be afraid. Oh, my goodness. I wonder if Jairus is asking one simple question. Can it be possible? Can this person, Jesus, bring my daughter back alive? Is it, is it even within the realm of possibility? You know what the Bible says, don't you? What's impossible with man is with God possible. Paul says, I can do all things. Just munch on that for a moment. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a big promise. And somehow, in the back of his mind, just this little seed of faith is planted and sprouts in Jairus' mind. Maybe, maybe it's possible. Just maybe. And so they go on. And when he arrived at the house of Jairus, he he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter and John and James and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and, and, and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him knowing that she was dead. They laughed at Jesus. What did they think about the possibility? Uh, this guy's a charlatan. He's a cult leader. He's making promises he can't keep. Just watch. Just wait. And in their cynicism and in their lack of faith, they laugh. 
Jesus pulls this small group, Peter, James, and John, Jairus and his wife, around the bed, even though, what were the expectation that this group of friends and family all wailing? They had no expectation. Do you have wailers in your life? You know who the wailers are, don't you? The ones who are always moaning and bemoaning. Oh, this is never going to work. Oh, we can't get this done. That's impossible. You're a dreamer if you think that could ever happen. You got wailers in your life. Do you sometimes hear your own heart, your old Adam, in there wailing a little bit, even in your own mind? Can't be done, can't be done, can't be done. Well, Jesus pulls them in, even though here's this whole little mini crowd of people saying, don't expect a thing from this guy. And he takes this child by the hand. Let's read. But he took her by the hand. Let's all read this one together. Luke 8, 54 to 56. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. How does he address her again? My child, get up. And the word of God is living and active, right? More powerful than any two-edged sword, the book of Hebrews tells us. More powerful than any doctor's scalpel. He simply says, my child, get up. And she gets up. Her spirit returns. And it says, there was no waiting period. There was no healing season. At once. At this very powerful word and command of Jesus Christ, she gets up just the way Jesus tells her to and begins to eat. And her parents were astonished. I wonder what the whalers thought. But, and here's something surprising. He ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Now, why did he do that? Do you know that When you begin to believe that in Jesus, you have a new identity, that you are God's child in him, that you have a new destiny in heaven and right now, because you can go in peace every day of your life, that literally the possibilities for you as a child of God are endless, that that does something to a person. And Jesus knew that it was going to do something to these parents. They realized, now, seeing Jesus work, (laughs) things have changed. They have a new identity, a new destiny, new possibilities that they never dreamed of. And that meant they had a new purpose in life. You know, the very word, redeem that we like to throw about so much in the church. You know what that means? 
it, it sort of means this. If I could paint a picture for you, imagine something that's just discarded and thrown on the trash heap. Because, why do we do that? Why do we throw things away? Because we say, we don't need this anymore. It's useless. Now, if you're God's child, if you know you're going to heaven because Jesus bought you with his blood, if you know that the possibilities are endless, the possibilities of what heaven are going to be, but the possibilities for you now of healing and peace, You think God's going to, after all of that, look at you and go, you're useless, I don't need you anymore. Here, you're on the garbage heap? No. You see, the word redeem means to pluck off of the garbage heap. That's why we love that word redeem. Because many of us at times in our lives, I've felt this way, I'll bet you have felt this way. Are like, we're just on the garbage heap. I feel useless. I don't have a sense of any purpose with my life. I don't know where I'm going, why I'm here. I'm just a piece of garbage. I'm junk. And that is so wrong. Because you were redeemed, not with gold or silver, the Bible says, but with the holy, precious blood of Jesus Christ and by his innocent sufferings and death. You, every one of you, were plucked off of the garbage heap. And then God lovingly polished you up, repaired you, and and he's fixing you. And do you know why he's doing that day after day after day? Because he says, man, I'm going to get this person just right, and I'm going to use their life. I'm going to use all their pain that they've gone through. I'm going to use their struggles in life. I'm going to use their failures, all the times where they've just, bam, hit a wall. I'm going to redeem all of those. And they're all going to be part of the purpose of this person's life as they serve me and bring glory to my name and tell people about how I, Jesus, have given them a new identity, new destiny, new possibility, and now the beauty of a new purpose too. You see, when we talk about the gospel, the good news... Of course, we're talking about God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Of course, that's the core. That's the heart. But surrounding that bullseye is so much more good news. So much more. All the answers to these four questions that mean that eternal life, yes, that's the grand prize. But guess what? You not only win the grand prize, you win all the other prizes too. First prize, second prize, third prize. You win it all. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit drawing you in to Jesus. New purpose. So here's what I want you to write down. Whether it was Jairus and his wife, or whether it was this woman who had a health issue for 12 years, or whether it was that young girl, Jesus made a huge difference in all of their lives, an astonishing difference for all of them. 
And he does the same for you and for me. Remember what it says in the middle of the story? Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet in the presence of all the people. She told why she had touched him and now she had been in, how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, daughter, and I want you to underline these words, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now, some of us, when we hear those words, your faith has healed you, we begin to think that Jesus is saying, it's because of you. It's because you're such a faith-filled person that I healed you. That's not what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is, it's not because you did an exterior act of touching my cloak that you were healed. It's because of the interior change that I made in your heart first that you were next healed on the outside in your body. First the heart, Jesus is saying, then the body. First the inside, Jesus is telling us, then the outside. And you know why that's so important, don't you? Because the world, our culture, will tell you that change, real difference-making, happens from the outside in. Learn new habits, take new steps in your life, change your actions, and then your heart will change. And Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh. He says, let me change your heart. Let me, Jesus, change your heart first. True Holy Spirit-inspired change is always from the inside out, not the outside in. And that's why he takes just a moment with that, that woman to say, what really happened here is not that you touched the edge of my cloak and that you were healed. It's because you had just that little mustard seed of a faith that was planted in you by the Holy Spirit to come and touch the edge of my cloak. It was that faith inside of you that God's Holy Spirit placed inside of you that healed you. And that's a lesson that we all need to hear. It's why we constantly come back to this book. Because this book, God's Word, the Bible, is what the Holy Spirit uses to change us from the inside out. We call this book a means of grace. A tool that God uses to plant faith in our hearts. And to to reassure us that we do have a new identity, a new destiny, new possibilities, and new purpose. It's all right here. And you know why Jesus is such a big difference maker? Because in all the world, Jesus is the only one who changes us from the inside out. With that little daughter, he takes her by the hand and he says, My child, get up. Oh, wow. To bring somebody back from the dead? That tells you something, doesn't it? Who can do that? Only the Son of God. Only the Savior of the world. 
Only the one who is willing to stretch out his hands and die on the cross for you and for me. Only the one who three days later, I'm going to celebrate this in just a couple of weeks, God the Father would rise from the grave himself. Only he can grab a little 12-year-old girl by the hand and say, my child, get up. And immediately she does. Jesus heals like no one else can. And I want you to walk away today knowing he's the only way to heaven, but he is also the only way to bring about a huge difference in your life today. Here's how Paul puts it. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Through faith in him, you are a new person. It's as if that old life has died away and you're resurrected sitting here today by faith. You've been raised with Christ. Now, set your heart on things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died. That old way is gone. This is the difference maker in your life. Jesus has swept that away. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You can wake up every morning with the answers to four questions. I want to ask you one last favor before I wrap up and pray. Will you take your pen out one more time? I want to get very practical as we close this out. When you're struggling, when it's tough to get up in the morning, when it's tough to decide, am I going to work? When at the end of the day, you're exhausted and, and, and just wiped. When you feel shaky and when your moods are doing one of these, right? And when you're saying, I just got to quit. I can't take this anymore. I'm moving on. When you have, in other words, what my heart sometimes does and what my dad's heart sometimes did. I want you to pull out these four questions and I want you to write them down, all right? Because you know the answers to these questions. And these are, these are not just airy-fairy, you know, philosophical. These are real and these are practical. Question number one, write it down. Who am I really? Who am I really? Question number two, where am I going to end up? Where am I going to end up? Question number three, what's possible for me? And question number four, do I have a purpose in life? Do you want to have a sense of steadiness and steadfastness in your life? Jesus does not wag his finger at you and say, be more steady, be more steadfast. He says, let me answer four questions for you. And when you are solid on the answers to these four questions, which, by the way, I will provide those answers for you by my blood, 
And by my death and by my life, I will provide those answers for you. When, when you really know the answers to these four questions, guess what's going to happen? Steadiness and steadfastness. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, you are an amazing God to send us your son to be our savior. And we sit here today and worship you. We praise your name because we know what it cost you to give up the life of your child. What Jairus struggled with, the death of his daughter, you actually carried out. You offered your son up so that I could know exactly who I am in him, exactly where I'm going, exactly what all the possibilities of my life are, and exactly what my purpose is. Lord, we're so grateful for that, and we honor you. We thank you for the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace that you show us every day. Confirm in our hearts today that we are now headed eternally to heaven because of Jesus, but Jesus is also a huge difference maker in my life today. Lord, we lift up these prayers to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.